Tumbling Saber is proud to present the Luminous Beings Podcast. Deep dive conversations into the heart of Star Wars. Brought to you by the Tumbling Saber Patreon community. Become a powerful friend today and get access to tons of our exclusive and early access audio content at patreon.com slash tumblingsaber and become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Luminous Beings, where we're taking another deep dive into the heart of Star Wars. I'm Kyle. I'm Nathan. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Nathan, what are we talking about this week? Well, I thought we'd talk this week about scum and scoundrels, and Mm. the idea in Star Wars, um, that seems pretty prevalent, that um, (laughs) the, the denizens of the galaxy aren't all that bad. And a lot of times they actually have hearts of gold. Obviously, that's not the case for every uh, scummy character in the saga. But uh, you look at Han Solo and and uh, and others, the Mandalorian now especially. Uh, he's on our minds lately. Uh, but a lot of these guys, you know, they they turn out to be good guys in the end. Um, and I, I just think that's an interesting idea, and you don't see that all that often as as consistently, I would say, as in Star Wars. Uh, you don't see that as much in other franchises. No, no, and it's it's obviously I think very intentional. Um, but I guess before we get to that, like the the scoundrel criminal person in Star Wars, like it, it feels like it's a well worn Star Wars trope archetype kind of thing but how, like how many really memorable ones are there because like when i think about that like as a the, the the scum scoundrel with a heart of gold as an entity in star wars i feel like there's an endless list but then when i try to name them it, it comes down to a pretty short list like you've got han like you've got the mando as you said uh, I, I imagine we can throw asajj ventress into that mix now mm-hmm. yeah, but, but really how many how many can we pour into that pool well you've got uh I mean, I mean you've got the clone wars which introduced us to a whole lot of of that i'll say class because that's i think how a lot of people view these different archetypes in star wars thanks to the video games and the role-playing games you know a lot of people i think break these down into classes and fair enough you know you've got your force wielders like your jedi and your sith you've got uh, your scum and villain. You got your soldiers, that kind of thing. It's, uh, but but I I would say that Clone Wars probably introduced us to the vast majority of of canon scoundrels. Um, but then you know you you get into the cantinas and you get into you know, I mean look at Maza's castle. That place is is rife with them. Right. The can- um, yeah, the cantina. Uh, yeah, Ma- Ma- I guess anytime you go into that type of place, you'll get. A boatload of, of these people who are essentially out for themselves. Yeah. Well, and that's that's the big difference is I think a lot of these characters can can sort of exist on that edge of good and bad. Uh, 
I hate using the word gray because it has <laughs> annoying connotations in Star Wars, but they exist in the gray zone uh, because they're not out. I mean, there are exceptions, of course, but for the most part, these characters aren't out to hurt anybody for no reason. They're not out to cause trouble uh, unless it benefits them. Yeah, um, yeah. I th- well, I think I think part of it is this person that's sort of in this limbo. They're not on the imperial side of things. They're not on the rebellion side of things, not yet. So you're, they're kind of in this purgatory, so to speak. Yeah. Where it 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 works as a framing device, so to speak, for that for, for these people, like mm-hmm. they they're out for themselves because the empire's taken away all opportunity, or they right. you know they they live far enough away that the empire's kind of forgotten about them and doesn't view them as important. And I think that's an easy uh, avenue for us as the audience to latch onto these people, even though we're like, all right, well, what's your what's your story? Are you do you belong behind bars? But then you, you kind of you end up sort of empathizing with them because you realize that the empire, in a lot of cases, has left left them no choice. So I think you're yeah you're just you're you're primed to align yourself with these people anyway. Yeah, I'd agree. And, and the other thing I'd say is that I mean, not only under the empire, but under the republic and under the new republic. Um, you know, especially concerning bounty hunters, you know, obviously not, not so much smugglers and, and those other sorts or assassins, but, but particularly bounty hunters, um, in the outer rim, you know, far away from, from the core and the, and the pillars of the, of the Republic or the empire itself, uh, these guys were law enforcement (laughs) or the closest thing that passes for law enforcement, out in these these regions, um, you know, you you think about uh, during the days of the Republic, you didn't have. I mean, the Republic doesn't care about the outer rim, you know. I mean, you've still got slavery on Tatooine, and no one's doing anything about it. Yeah. So, I, I mean, in a sense, bounty hunters are the police of the outer rim. <laughs> Or you know, as as close as as an, an interplanetary police force that you can muster. I mean, obviously, each planet is going to have their own security forces and that kind of thing, their own militaries and whatever. But I mean, these these um, planetary police forces aren't going to be off on other planets hunting down criminals, hunting down fugitives. So they're going to hire a bounty hunter to do it, like the Mandalorian or. Cad Bane, or now, of course, you still have those bounty hunters that go into the core and and are up to no good, like Cad Bane and and others. But I mean, we we've seen in the Mandalorian that that the bounty hunting industry is is thriving. <laughs> so well, yeah, that's one of the things the show's done is just introduced the, an endless array of bounty hunters. Yeah, like it's taken the guild, which I think we knew existed, but it, but blown it right out. Not not by name, of course, but it just seems to be. Now you get the impression that there are just there are thousands of bounty hunters. Yeah, well, and and one wonders how much um, that's due to the more formalization of the guild. Like, has the guild had have to become more organized because of the new republic? 
Uh, obviously, the New Republic would want to try to uh, stamp out some of that criminal activity, whereas the Empire tried to use it uh, and let it exist because it they were able to uh, reap the benefits of their activities right. and often use them, those individuals themselves. But obviously, the New Republic coming in would probably want to try to start stamping out some of that crime, and they would say, well, listen, you're going to have to formalize, you're going to have to set these codes and rules, <clears throat> and you're going to have to... Register with the guild and all that stuff. Yeah, and, and that's the only way that a bounty hunter is going to be able to exist. And then you have, you know, your assassins like uh, Fennec Shand and and those types that and smugglers and that kind of thing who are going to be less closely associated with the bounty hunters because the bounty hunters aren't going to want to associate with them. So it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic there. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, do we, can we expand that out to, you know, this, this trend of criminals and questionable sorts? Do, can we expand that out to include Mas Kanata or, or Dexter Jetster, for example? I know that's a, that's a guy that you wanted to talk about at some point. Uh, these well, people kind of become these pivot point characters that send our heroes to where they need to be. Uh, is that intentional that that character always seems to be the murky kind? Yeah. I mean, I always want to talk about Dexter Jetster. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, there's so much to talk about. So there's there, nothing, yeah, there there's nothing to talk about. <laughs> But that's, well, that's the thing about him is, yeah, he has he's obviously got an interesting past, and that's the other thing is that's interesting is that Obi Wan is never afraid to associate with the CD elements of the galaxy, and we see it in the Clone Wars all the time. You know, we see it in his friendship with Dexter. Again, we don't know much about Dexter's past, but we we suspect that if he knows about bounty hunters and their exotic weapons that he's probably got some interesting stories to tell. Yeah, and he's the only guy that seems to know absolutely about about Camino and cloners being yeah. out there. Like yeah. everybody else is and completely it, clueless except for the people that are actually using uh the Caminoans to do their dirty work. Yep, knowledge and wisdom. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but uh yeah, him Maz is. Uh, I I love Maz as a character, even though we we. I mean, we've got her here sprinkled throughout. I mean, we have had a fair bit of her sprinkled throughout um, sort of stories outside of the movies. Obviously, we have we've only gotten um, her live action in the Force Awakens. I mean, to to any real degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, you know, we've we've seen her in Battlefront. Uh, we've seen her in several books, and she's a great character. She's just she she probably more than anybody exists on that line. Where I don't know, she it it's almost like she's all accepting. <laughs> Is maybe I guess how I'd put it. Uh, she, you know, she. She allows anything apart yeah. from things that break her own personal morality. Like she, it, it's almost like she doesn't care about the laws of the galaxy or the laws of of the government. She has her own 
moral compass and sort of judges things on a case by case basis. Yeah, and, I, and then I don't that know, that's really the law her. she abides. No, no, especially in in the, the galaxy we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I mean she's she's old enough, and we don't know how old she is, but she's run that watering hole for for over a thousand years. So how old does that make her? You yeah, know, but she has seen the rule of law literally come and go. Like she, I'm sure. So, well, she's she's endured the entire lifespan of of the Republic before it fell at the hands of the Sith. I'm sure those laws and whatever, you know, whatever, however they govern themselves, whatever rules govern the galaxy, she watched all that change, and she's probably she probably rolled her eyes half the time. So she, yeah, she's probably de- developed this mo, uh, this this code of ethics that are exclusively hers, and she probably believes it to be the better way, because everything else just gets corrupted, and so yeah, so she might be shady by law and order standards. But she, like, I think she knows who she is and what, where, where her line is. And as long as you don't step over that line, you'll be fine with her. Yeah, I, I'd agree. And and I think another interesting aspect of Maz is that she she has the ability to see into people. Um, and I think that that probably, in in some cases, would make certain laws pretty cruel. Um, to be able to see the true intent and the uh, and the emotions and and that sort of thing that led up to maybe a, a particular crime. I mean, let, let's say there was a murder. Maz can see into into the mind of that murderer and and would probably understand and maybe be more empathetic to uh, the thought process that led up to that murder. And she might not excuse it. I mean, we know that, like in her castle, there's no, there's no fighting and and that kind, of, no certain types of business allowed and that kind of thing. But you know, she would probably view just a flat out uh, murder charge as too simplistic. You know, obviously things are, and I mean, in in our world, things are are rarely as simplistic as the law makes them. Um, but to be able to actually see into that person's mind and, and sort of understand and empathize with them, she probably figures, you know, this should probably be judged. These things should be judged on a case by case basis rather yeah. than a blanket law covering those things. Yeah. Especially with that ability. And I, I wish we'd get more of this, in, in The Force Awakens, even if Ryan had thought to do more with her in The Last Jedi, mm-hmm. this ability of hers to look into someone's eyes and and determine a whole lot about whatever it is, their their history, their intentions, whatever it is about people that she can see, I, I wish that had been developed a bit more because I think Ma, Ma, like Maz is fascinating. She's mm-hmm. so fascinating. She's such a treasure trove of... of lore and information being as old as she is again we don't know how old but she's the type of person that I mean, they did this with the forces of destiny book or the, at least with the books and i think with the little animated shorts as well she was always prefacing them yeah she was yep. she was the narrator i think that could be a role for loop if the, the if the whole acting thing doesn't work out for lupita nyong'o she could be mas <laughs> forever just as as like that narrator 
And I think I think Lupita Nyong'o is going to be okay as an actor. She I think she's got it, but she could be Maz Kanata forever from that standpoint, where she could narrate us through as much galactic lore as they're willing to throw at us. Like she's really that type of person. She has seen it all. Yeah, and and I I think we've talked about this before that my I, I'm not so much in favor of uh, going way back. Um, and exploring the history of the galaxy in actual stories. I, I prefer to find out about this history with modern characters. Not necessarily established, you know, original trilogy or prequel character. Th- that's fine. But I like to... Like, do you remember in the Afro series when we learned about that ancient sect of the Jedi? The that or, were up to or, some nonsense? Or do aspect you? Was that them? Yeah, yeah, it's not, yeah, one of those. Like, like I really enjoyed those stories. I like that kind of thing. Or like, you know, it's like, um, um, like in the Darth Maul. Was it the Darth Maul comic, or was it the the one shot, the Age of Republic one shot, where he's with Sidious and he sort of has his vision of the battle at Malachor and that kind of thing. Like, uh, I like learning the history of the galaxy within stories. Yeah, just by little flashbacks. Yeah, so I'd, I'd, I'd love to have, you know, sort of adventures at Maz's castle where, you know, you're she's telling sort of, okay, say, say a smuggler walks into Maz's castle and is having a problem. She tells him a story that'll help him with his problem, but also reveals some of the history of the galaxy over the course of the past thousand years. You know? Yeah, Suppose exactly. the man the Mandalorian walks into Maz's castle. That and she be- tells him the story about the Mandalorian, the Jedi Mandalorian War. Five hundred years prior. You know? That kind of thing. Yeah, and some of the Lego animated stuff did this. They had Lando. Yeah. We put they put Lando in Maz's castle, and we've we, they've had those interactions. They're mm-hmm. not, or I mean, they're soft canon if you want to go with that. <laughs> they're very prone to be overwritten at any point. But for people like Maz, we're we're invited to latch onto them and like them. And how can yeah. you not love Maz? Just looking at her, you go, oh, of course you're going to love that character. Mm-hmm. But I think you're you were invited to to like these characters and gravitate to them because so often the heroes themselves are saying, "Oh, we're going to see this person because they are going to help us." Like our first introduction to the idea of Maz is through Han Solo, who is like the king scoundrel himself, and he's saying, "Oh, yeah, Maz is going to help us." Mm-hmm. So right off the hop, this this air quotes shady person is framed up in a way that we were, were led to trust her from the, from the beginning. And I think that yeah. o- that often ends up being the case in Star Wars. Um, and I think we're, we're going to get to this guy. We may, we may as well get to him now. Someone you know has probably experienced cancer, a heart attack, or stroke. The odds of experiencing one of these are high, which could result in bills for thousands of dollars in out-of-pocket expenses. How would you pay for it? With your savings? There is another option. 
It's called Active Care. Active Care is a supplemental health insurance policy that offers protection for covered cancer, heart attack, or stroke, and a choice of cash benefit options from ten to sixty thousand dollars. And with Active Care, the cash is yours to use as you see fit. Active Care is brought to you by Colonial Pen Life Insurance Company and is underwritten by Washington National Insurance Company. Get Active Care for cash, choice, and control. Visit ColonialPen.com for more information. This is a limited benefit policy. This policy has limitations and exclusions. For costs and complete details of coverage, visit ColonialPen.com. But for for someone like DJ, Star Wars fans, we kind of expected that we didn't. We we, I think we figured this guy is gonna gonna turn and he's gonna be our friend by the end. And it yeah. it was anything but that. And it was it was a pretty good. Again, to use that word, subversion. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's the version of our expectations on Ryan Johnson's part to take the trope because I'm I'm sure everybody thought, well, DJ is going to fight with the resistance by the end, and he he mm-hmm. did anything but. Yeah, well, we're set up to distrust Admiral Holdo, and we're set up to trust DJ, and neither of those <laughs> expectations are met, and uh, yeah, he's. It's it's a brilliant thing to do because, well, I mean, I love that whole that whole segment of the movie where, I mean, the plan doesn't work, you know, like it's it fails spectacularly. <laughs> yeah, and and like there's no way out of it. Like like in Star Wars, there are always plans that go wrong, but there always there's always you know. Uh, Okay, well we can we can course correct. We can and it always ends up working out. You know, look at the uh, you know, Attack of the Clones. You know, Anakin's supposed to stay on Naboo. He goes to Tatooine. He goes after Obi-Wan <laughs> on Geonosis. They get captured. You know, but it, through the whole thing they're able to turn it around by the end. Yep. But in the last Jedi, the plan just flat fails and there's no recovering from it. Uh, and then, you know, Finn and Rose are just, you know, by sheer luck, they escape. But their plan had no benefit whatsoever <laughs> to the Resistance. No, it was such a... They were obviously in dire straits. They had to come up with this desperate plan, and it's it's prone to fail. You're, going, you're looking for a needle in yeah. a haystack on this yeah. far-flung planet. Yeah, the chances of failure were quite high. And I think in Star Wars, because these long shot plans often work out, we probably expected Finn and, Finn and Rose's plan to work out as well, just because that's how Star Wars works. The underdogs always yep. come through. And this time they it didn't. But, they, you know, they did, they did find plan B in DJ. Yeah. But it certainly wasn't the it wasn't the uh, the, the master code breaker that they were looking for. No. And that's the thing, you, you, DJ would be the character that classically would have come in and to turn everything around, right? Like, he didn't actually betray them. It was, that was uh, uh, the only way he could see to get things to work out. I, I don't know. <laughs> but, but, you know, he would have turned out to be, oh no, he he came back for us or or something like that. But no, he just... He's just up and boots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, DJ's a—I don't want to say he's a letdown character for me. 
because I, I think he's fascinating in that he comes into the movie as this aloof and, and flaky and unreliable. But like you said, we're, you know, we're trained as Star Wars fans to think he's going to do the right thing. And and for a long mm-hmm. time, that's that's the path we go down. He's he's like, yeah, I'll do it. Well, you know, pay, yeah. pay me and I'll do it. And that's fair. And that's fair for for one of these grayish characters in Star Wars. Pay me and I'll do what you need me to do. Uh, yep. But, you know, and he's right there at the end. He's unlocking that door so that Rose can go do her thing. And then the plan changes and the circumstances change. And he's like, and he just rolls over on them. Yeah. You know, he just, he just, for the money, he just flips on them. And and I think he's, he's unique to Star Wars in that way. Like he's, he's a guy that took that selfish path, uh, not in the way that would grant him power or authority, but that he he would get to continue along in service of nothing other than himself. And I, th- I, yeah. I think these sketchy guys, when they do d- betray or do their own thing, uh, it's, there's some sort of grab involved. Maybe, maybe Han Solo is an exception. He just wants to get paid and get out. But I, I think there was no ladder climbing with, with DJ. It was just, I'm just going to go on being myself. And I, I, yeah. I, I think it resonates with audiences uh, because it shows us, uh, that that side of ourselves, as Star Wars often does, it kind of holds that mirror up to us. And it, 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 DJ shows us that selfish side that we'd like to indulge, but ultimately, hopefully, we all kind of deny that. But we and and we yeah. resent DJ for that. Yeah, you know, and mm-hmm. but he and he also runs contrary to. Uh, he he runs contrary to, to Star Wars because we all we often expect these shady people to ultimately make the right choice. And he he doesn't. He just goes right off the deep end. Uh, maybe like that's his last word in the movie. Takes the money and walks away. Maybe, and he's done. So in that way, it's sort of a disappointment for me to not see that where that character goes. But at the same time, it's an exclamation point saying there are some lousy people out there. Yeah, you you look at at the maybe moment, which I love. And it, but it really sets him apart, I think, from other other bounty hunters and and scoundrels and things, um, because for the most part, the scoundrels tend to know where they stand. You know, Mando, even though he he likes to act tough, he knows. You know, he's he takes a side. Uh, Cad Bane knows he's evil. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, these guys know how bad they are. But I feel like DJ is truly neutral. You know, even in his own head, he's neutral. Because Uh, he generally has not even considered whether what he's doing is good good or bad. He just does not care. It doesn't even come into his mind. It's written across his hat. Don't join. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we don't know his name. We just call him DJ for don't join. Yep. Don't pick a side. And, you know, just just do it for yourself. And yep. yes, that is a thing that these scum and villainy type people sort of extol through Star Wars. Han Solo is exactly that. I'm in it for me. Mm-hmm. He says exactly this in A New Hope. And DJ is reinforcing that. But the thing with DJ is that he's unshakably that. Yeah. There is no way. Like, you know, I... I once upon a time as as a fandom we discussed well, would he come back for rise of skywalker and, and you know we see him flying with that armada or we see him 
whatever. Like we see him fighting with the resistance. No. Yeah. Nope. Not this guy. This guy, he's a different cat. He is totally in it for DJ. There's nothing going to change that about, about, uh, about DJ. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, he's spending time with two of the most likable Star Wars characters. <laughs> <laughs> right. Maybe not the most, uh, liked in the fandom but i mean you can't ignore that these characters and these actors are extremely likable and you know he's they're they're god finn and rose are so innocent and so sweet and they put their faith in him and he isn't shaken by any of that no it's like and and it's not like he has to fight a connection with them or fight, you know, it's just like, it's like a breeze. He just so easily betrays them. It's, I mean, it's almost like he's a psych. He has to be a psychopath. It's, he has no qualms about, uh, no interest in building a connection. Like it, and, and it's, I feel like with DJ, like even saying he has no interest in build like, has no interest isn't even strong enough like it's it's <laughs> he's not even capable of it yeah i feel I, like he, he's not even capable of forming a connection or or viewing someone else's needs or wants or you know it, it, he he's really a chilling character when it comes down to it and uh, again being someone in star wars and you know we we all thrive on on backstory what is DJ's? How did he end up this way? Was he good at one point and then changed? Was he, you know, he, I think he's old enough to have lived through the Galactic Civil War. Did one side or the other really burn him? You know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think we need to know DJ's backstory, but would you say no if they said, here's a, here's a young DJ, DJ comic where you learn about how he became just that loner? Probably not. We'd probably all sit there and go, uh-huh. No wonder he's so selfish. Yeah. Well, my headcanon is that um, he did grow up during the Galactic Civil War and uh, lived on a planet occupied by the Empire. And the Rebellion came in to try to drive the Empire off. And and the battle ended up doing more damage than either side possibly could have. And so he sees both sides – as having no value to him. That's my headcanon. Yeah, my, mine is very similar <laughs> in that the Empire probably, in his very young days, probably stifled him, maybe even subjugated his family. And then when, when the Rebellion liberated things, they were probably no better at all. Yeah. They didn't help. They didn't reorganize things. They didn't provide opportunity. So th- he probably just said, "Okay, well, I guess I guess it's a life of scum and villainy for me." Yeah, and nobody's gonna after this. Nobody gets my loyalty. Mm-hmm. I that that is that's yeah. It's, it's, we have similar headcanons about DJ. Maybe maybe that be, that being the case, I'm sure a lot of other people share the same headcanon. Maybe we don't need that story about DJ. He is ultimately a, a character very much designed to serve Finn and his arc. But he's still interesting. He's still a fascinating guy. Yeah, I, I, it would be a shame to not have more DJ stories. I think he's, 
I think he's too good a character to just have that that pop in in The Last Jedi, and then that's all we get of him, apart from a terrible comic book. Oof, but, that one uh, shot? <laughs> oh, man. I don't what know. What a waste. I've, wow. I, I, can't, I cannot think of a single issue of the Star Wars canon that we've gotten that is more, lack of a better word, useless. <laughs> it's a waste of paper. <laughs> it's, it tells us absolutely nothing about the character that we didn't already know. I want to know whose idea it was to say, you know, what people are really going to wonder about this character is, how do you end up in jail? Like, he, he's a hacker. He's a scumbag. We uh, we assume he's going to end up in jail at some point. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's not the most interesting thing about this character. A, a number counter, a hacker on a casino world. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder how he's going to end up in prison. Oh, God. It, yeah. And maybe maybe it's anticlimactic because like it is he like I said I I think he's unshakably selfish. I don't know what would, what it would take for him to pick a side. But yeah. the, he he did end up in that position, and I would like to see, and I think it would be interesting because you know going back to the Mandalorian, uh, in one of the episodes, Grief Karga tells him to tells the Mando to ah take up your beef with the New Republic, mm-hmm. and he's like ah it's a joke. And we've learned uh, from that little almost throwaway line that the New Republic's pretty feckless. And, yep. we, you know, even learning through through Aftermath books and Bloodline that the New Republic wasn't this great virtuous government that, that you would have hoped. And so they probably did some pretty lousy stuff themselves or, you know, just bungled a bunch of situations. And DJ could have been one of those people that you could watch things crumble before his face, and it was because of the New Republic. Yeah, he could have been, he could have been New Republic uh, intelligence for all we know, and then just became disillusioned with the whole thing. I mean, there are an infinite number of ways that that DJ's backstory could go, and I'm sure most of them would be interesting. Yeah, like Cara Dune is a, gives us a similar window to that, where she worked with with the the rebellion and the new republic in the aftermath of the galactic civil war and then something about it just turned her off about the whole thing and she she left yeah well she suddenly found that there was no place for her in the in the only home she's known for you know 10 years yeah like assaulting imperial outposts and, and shooting stormtroopers was right up her alley but when it came to like escorting politicians Suddenly, it was it probably got really boring, and she probably had to pal around with some really, really lecherous people that she mm-hmm. wanted nothing to do with. Yeah. Anyway, I, I think we're kind of reaching the end here of, of this particular conversation, but I, I think, I think these scum people they end up being among the most beloved characters in Star Wars, in part because we, I think, we inherently like the idea of that sketchy person coming around to do the right thing again it's that signal to us that that star wars loves to reinforce that no matter what you've done you always have that opportunity to make a better choice and to pick the right side yeah i think they're you know those those shady characters always sit in the middle we kind of don't care about who they kill because we always assume that whoever they've killed is bad anyway so we, we always look at them as that person in the middle will they have the choice to choose good or they have the choice to choose bad. 
and we we, we root for them. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. All right, so that's it, guys. Uh, scum and scoundrels, criminals as heroes. What do you guys think? Did we leave out any people? Uh, who are your favorites? What did you think? Let us let us know. You can drop us a line. Uh, you can email us. We always want your feedback. Uh, you can do that at tumblingsaber at gmail.com. Or you can reach us by social media. Nathan, where can people find you? I'm in the Tumbling Saber Clothes Facebook group. And I'm on Twitter at NAF Roberts. And I'm in that aforementioned Facebook group and on Twitter at Tumbling Saber. And that's going to do it for this week of Luminous Beings. If you want this episode, if you enjoyed it and you want it when it drops, uh, check us out on Patreon. Become a, a powerful friend on Patreon and you'll get this episode as it's freshly released. And uh, that, mm-hmm, fresh. Mm, fresh. So check that out. Patreon.com slash Tumbling Saber. And uh, we'd really appreciate your support. Otherwise, uh, we'll catch you again in another episode of the podcast. And until then, guys, may the force be with you. Suga, suga, 